0: So if Tennessee is going to get to the SEC championship, knock off Georgia, maybe find their way to the college football playoff. Joe Milton has to be an All-American candidate. He is their MVP. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is August 11th here in 2023. We appreciate you so much coming to us. It's been terrific to interact with you guys the last few weeks. Our podcast downloads are through the roof. And we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. We have a terrific show in store for you today. But before I tell you what's on hand, I want to give a shout out to Does TV. I mean, it's D O E S TV, all one word. Does TV is, I figured, the best, maybe is Do S TV. I don't know. I have no idea. But we appreciate the five star review, my friend Nate, big Texas fan who is in the Air Force and is slated to deploy this fall we appreciate you, Nate, man. Thank you for your service. We love you and appreciate all service men and women. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate your sacrifice and what you do for us to allow us the freedoms that we have here in this country every single day. We so appreciate you. Shout out to Adam and Aiden from Instagram. Appreciate your kind words. Thank you again. And tons of positive feedback coming from the Colin Cowherd interview a couple days ago. Colin had some really interesting points. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's on ESPN's YouTube page, or you can download podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I would encourage you to continue to like, rate, subscribe. It helps us out and it helps us grow. Word of mouth is huge. So tell your friends about Always College Football. We're talking about it every day here on this podcast. Great show today. MVP candidate, for 10 different teams. We'll take two from every Power Five League. We're going to take tell you an MVP candidate. We're going to tell you a breakout player or breakout group from every single team as well. So 10 teams. We got AM, Tennessee, UCLA, North Carolina, NC State, Penn State, a bunch of teams. Bunch of teams that we're going to get to today. So keep it locked in here right now because this is a no realignment discussion. We are getting in the weeds, baby. It's time to talk some ball. So let's do it right now with an MVP and a breakout candidate. MVPs and breakout stars. Now, here's how we kind of assess MVP. Now, I'm not saying that this guy is without question the best player in your team. Not necessarily. But if your goal is to be as good as your team can possibly be, this guy has to be elite. That's your MVP, your most valuable player. Okay, then when it comes to breakout stars, guys that maybe didn't do as much, maybe guys that have changed a newcomer, if you will, maybe a freshman, a guy that might have transferred in that we know can play high level ball, but just hasn't played high level ball at your place. So those are just so we know the breakdown of which with how we came to some of these conclusions. A couple of these, by the way, you're going to say it's a cop out, but I'll explain. I promise. Let's start with Texas A&M. The team MVP. If a and going to do what they want to do this year, it's not a player. You might think it's a player. It's not. This is not a cop-out, but I tried to think of just one individual. Could I say Connor Wigman? Could I say some of these other guys that are wide receiver? Maybe the defensive line. No, it's Bobby Petrino. Because if you look at Texas a and personnel, they have great personnel. They've had great personnel. But what they haven't had is a really creative offensive identity. Not saying that Jimbo Fisher isn't a great offensive mind. He is. But I think now in the NIL era and transfer portal and recruiting, all those things have become more difficult. So your job as a head coach is more as an administrator. So you don't have the time to really totally hone in on the X's and O's and ways to attack the opposing defense. Bobby Petrino, his exclusive job this year is to take those playmakers, put them in great spots and create problems for the opposing defense. If he has a great year, AM will in turn have a great year. But let's go to a breakout candidate. And there are several, by the way, I think on this Texas AM team. I went with one position group and really two guys in particular. I'm going to go with Donovan Green and Jake Johnson, specifically the tight end position. When I think about Texas AM and Jimbo Fisher's offenses and to a lesser extent, Bobby Petrino's offenses, if they have a great tight end that's versatile, can play into the line of scrimmage, can be H-back, can be moved around, then the offense has usually been a whole heck of a lot more difficult to stop. And if you look at what Donovan Green was in the spring, he's going to be that guy can be at the end of the line. He can contribute in the passing game. And Jake Johnson, guy that was obviously one of the most highly regarded prospects at the tight end spot when he signed with the Aggies. Now he's getting to a position where he can really be in a good spot. Missed a bunch of time being a little banged up last year. So now if he gets to shoulder some of that load within the offense, those two, I think, together can take this offense to the next level. It's hard to pick a receiver because they have so many, but I will mention, just honorable mention, Nate Thomas. Guy's 6'6", 200. And we know he's got a huge catch radius, but I can't necessarily put him ahead of Evan Stewart or Moose Muhammad or Aniah Smith. But keep an eye and remember the name, Nate Thomas. He could potentially have a decent year, especially in the red zone there for the Yaggies. Let's go next to the Tennessee Volunteers. The MVP, it has to be Joe Milton. It has to be. This is a quarterback-driven offense. And if the quarterback is inaccurate, if the quarterback misses throws, if the quarterback is not good, especially when throwing the ball down the field, the offense will not be as good. It just won't be. And Joe Milton's grown by leaps and bounds in the last couple of years, since transferring from Michigan, I think it humbled him early in his Tennessee career when he was sidelined, but he followed Hendon Hooker. He learned from Hendon Hooker and became a much better player as a result of that experience. But this team is always going to go how the quarterback goes. With the offense that they run, if your quarterback has an off day, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. If the receivers have an off day, you can overcome that because you have so many. If the offensive line has maybe a difficult day, you can probably overcome that because you can use tempo and keep the defense off balance. But if the quarterback's missing throws, you're going to have a tough time. So if Tennessee is going to get to the SEC championship, knock off Georgia, maybe find their way to the college football playoff, Joe Milton has to be an All-American candidate. He is their MVP. But a breakout candidate, I'm going to go with Dante Thornton. Now, transfer from Oregon, and... He's probably going to be the next in line, or so it seems. You talk to people up there on Rocky Top, he's the next in line. He's 6'5", 215 pounds. And the thing that made Jalen high at the Bolitnikoff Award winner last year was his top-end speed. 24 miles an hour he's hitting when he gets in the open field. Well, guess what? Already on the GPS, Dante Thornton has hit 24 miles an hour. Ironically enough, he wore number 11. There in the spring, that's what Hyatt wore last year. He's now switched number one. Hasn't had a ton of opportunity, obviously. He was pretty good player at Oregon, but not the guy that he's going to be expected to be in Tennessee's offense. We know that they have great weapons. Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton. But if Dante Thornton can be the guy that really takes the top off the defense, they're playing him in the slot. Squirrel White's also in the slot. You got two super speedy guys in the slot. It's going to create a lot of problems for opposing defenses. Let's go out West and go to the Pac-12 and talk about UCLA. Their MVP. Remember what the Pac-12 has? A ton of great quarterbacks, right? A ton of really quality pieces at the quarterback spot. What crushes quarterbacks? A great pass rush. Leatu Latu is their MVP. He's 6'5", 265. He's the best defensive player on the team. He's one of the most disruptive defenders in the entire Pac-12. And if he can breathe fire off the edge and put some pressure on the opposing passer, you're going to be in great spot. Now, I think he's the best edge defender that UCLA's had since Tack McKinley. And that goes, I mean, they've had some guys too. They really have. But if he can go for, say, 12, 14, 15 sacks, he had 10 last year, then we're talking about an All-American candidate and a guy that could be in line for some potential postseason awards. He's the most valuable player on the team. If he has a big year and that defense can elevate because of his presence, look out. Because there's not a lot of defenders, edge defenders like that in the Pac-12. The breakout candidate. And this one, maybe it's a cop-out, maybe it's not. How can it not be Dante Moore, the quarterback? All right. Right now, he's deep in a quarterback competition with Colin Schley and Ethan Garbers. Garbers has been getting most of the first team reps up to this point, but it's starting to feel like Dante Moore could potentially emerge. This guy was a unanimous five-star recruit. Pretty much every service said that he was at the top of the quarterback rankings or at least near the top of the quarterback rankings, and he's a four-year starter in the state of Michigan. Now, full disclosure. I'm not super familiar with prep football in the state of Michigan. I I don't know. I I've played with some guys that were from Michigan and spoke highly about their high school experience and the competition they faced. But I, I don't know it like the back of my hand. What I do know is that the recruiting services saw him on a level playing field with every other top flight quarterback in the country. And they said that he was as good as them all. And we have seen this offense. remember, I mean, the guy he's replacing, Dorian Thompson Robinson, was a guy that started for multiple, multiple years and started way back early in his career. This is an offense that is a little challenging, but it's a lot of reads. It's a lot of run-oriented reads. And if Dante Moore can be accurate with the football, he can still provide that versatility with his his own skill set, with a big arm, very accurate, also very athletic. Keep an eye. He's a major breakout candidate, and if he becomes the player that everyone thinks he's ultimately going to become this year, UCLA immediately becomes a problem for everybody in the Pac-12. Let's go up north. Talk about the Oregon Ducks. The MVP, this should not require a whole lot. I think every person that you ask one thing, just, hey, who's the best player on Oregon's team? Who's the most important player on Oregon's team? It's Bo Nix. All you have to do is point to last year. Think about where he was in the first Eight, nine games of the season. All right, he was in great shape. Let's think about what he was doing through the first eight games. All right, the fifth FBS quarterback ever to post 20-plus passing touchdowns and 10-plus rushing touchdowns over the first eight games. The other quarterbacks in this group, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and De'Aaron King. That's pretty elite company. When you think about what he did in the first eight games, but then he had that leg injury in November and it just wasn't the same. So the overall performance of the offense was totally, totally reliant on what Bo Nix could create. And they're still really good players, great weapons, great running game, great running backs. I think a quality offensive line, but first 10 games, they were seventh in the power five. And the last three games, when Bo Nix was not at 100%, they were 38th. In the Power Five, as far as their offensive efficiency is concerned, so Bo Nix, without question, the MVP of the Oregon Ducks, the breakout star. What did I just say a second ago about Bo Nix and the importance of him staying healthy? Well, we should probably go to the offensive line. Uh, Johnny Cornelius is a transfer from Rhode Island. Everybody wanted him. Every, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had zero stars coming out of high school, but it's six foot four, six foot five. Three hundred and twenty pounds, very athletic. A late bloomer has started two full years at Rhode Island, and now he's likely going to be starting at the tackle spot, protecting your most precious asset in Bo Nix. Now, this is a guy that that spurned Ohio State, didn't consider. I mean, he had offers everywhere. One of the top tackle prospects in the portal, he chose Oregon he's got a chance to really break out. Now, they actually have, Oregon does, several honorable mentions too. Jordan Birch was under consideration from South Carolina. He's been really impressive so far in fall camp. And then Tez Johnson, the wide receiver from Troy, drawing some rave reviews out there as well. But you got to keep your quarterback healthy. Johnny Cornelius is the guy that I am paying close attention to as a breakout candidate for the Ducks. Let's go back out east to talk about Penn State. This one a little bit more difficult. Because what's Penn State's goal this year? Their goal is to beat Ohio State. The goal is to beat Michigan. And the goal is to get to the Big Ten Championship. The goal is to get to the college football playoff. And I think they can get there. I really believe that they can get there. But if they're going to get there, the most important players on their team are their defensive ends. Their defensive ends. And look, Isaac, Chop Robinson, uh, Dennis Sutton, like th- these are... The, this is the trio of players that have to play beyond elite in order for Penn State to become the team that they want to become. Now, we're talking about crazy firepower. I mean, Chop Robinson, one of the most efficient players, one of the most effective and disruptive players. We already talked about Isaac. I mean, Danny Dennis Sutton, who feels like he's coming into his own a little bit too now in his second year. And we're talking about guys that could Totally take over the game. Remember, where is Ohio State vulnerable right now? Their offensive line is a bit of a question mark. And their tackles right now, a bit of a question mark. Well, if those three guys go off in that game, their likelihood of potentially winning the game increases drastically. So the MVP, some might say it's the running backs. Some might say it's the quarterback. Some might say it's the wide receivers. I personally am going with the defense event because if that group's as elite as they can possibly be, they really have a chance to do some special things there in the Big Ten. Let's go to the breakout star. This is a cop-out. It is. I don't know how to how else to say it, but how can you not choose Drew Aller? I mean, he has to be your breakout star. And part of it, too, could you say Lambert Smith at wide receiver? Could you say the could you say maybe a freshman back maybe a, maybe one of those elite players on the defensive front that that they feel good about they feel good about their defensive tackles because I almost went defensive tackle here because I felt like last year those guys were really good and they need some guys to step up at that position uh there are a bunch of options as far as breakout candidates are concerned for Penn State but I'm going Drew Aller I mean you think about look Nick Singleton, Katron Allen. I know he's in the midst of a quarterback competition, if you will, but let's not, let's be real. I mean, he's the starter. He's got a big time arm. Now, Sean Clifford, I feel like, was very underappreciated. Believe me, he made me want to pull my hair out too sometimes. As a fan of the position, there were things he did that really frustrated me. But I also acknowledge that he did keep a lot of plays alive. And he did do a pretty good job being occasionally mobile, just a little bit of mobility every once in a while. He's not going to be a guy that's going to take over the game with his legs, but extending plays, buying time, and delivering the football. I think Drew Aller has a higher ceiling. I think he's got better arm talent. I've seen him throw, stood right behind him when they were playing in the whiteout game. We were calling that game, and I stood right behind him the entire time in warmth because I just wanted to see the ball come off his hand. It's a thing of beauty. Now can he showcase it? under immense pressure from time to time to complement that rushing attack that should be really good. He's the breakout candidate for the Penn State Nittany Lions. Let's go just a little bit more to the East and talk about the Maryland Terrapins. The MVP is obvious, Talia Tungabaloa. Now, he has kind of single-handedly changed what they're doing right now. Guy was an all Big Ten player a year ago. He had great efficiency numbers. He played really well against Ohio State top 5 in QBR in the Big 10 threw for 3000 yards had 67% completions and another thing too it felt like he was more mindful of hey i can try this i can try that i can't try this i can't try that felt like he was a lot smarter player last year than he was the year before so i think if he if they're going to be the disruptor and a lot of people have kind of circled Maryland as that dark horse team in the Big 10 I don't envision a scenario where they can actually get to the top of the Big 10. I don't envision a scenario where they can overcome the the challenges of playing in that league to the point in which they can get to the Big 10 championship. But I also think Maryland's one of those teams that you don't want to play and they could probably beat anybody in the league as well. You catch them on the wrong day, good luck because Maryland is going to give you a dogfight. Ask Ohio State last year in week 12 exactly what that dogfight looked like or what Michigan Looked like earlier in the season. They played Michigan better than most. I'm going to give you the breakout candidate, though, of Tyrese Chambers. Now, some of the question marks around him. A couple years ago, look, he's from Baltimore. He's coming back home. But at FIU, he was terrific. A couple years ago, I mean, 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns. uh, One of the best as far as deep threats. Averaged nearly 24 yards a catch in 2021. So he was at Sacred Heart prior to that, was very effective there, was an FCS All-American, had 50 catches for 811 yards there at Sacred Heart. So this is a guy that has played quite a bit of football, just hasn't done it at Maryland. Now he gets his chance. Honorable mention for Maryland because of C.J. Dupree departing the program, keeping on Rico Walker. Now we know that, that Corey Deiches is going to be the, the starter. We know he's going to be the number one, but Rico Walker's an athlete. I mean, he is uh, one of those guys who can split out. He's one of the top-rated recruits in their, this past signing class. Just keep an eye on him. He could make his way onto the field there as a true freshman. Let's go next to NC State, just a little bit further south on the eastern seaboard. The MVP, and part of this has to do with... The guys that have already left the program, Drake Thomas and Isaiah Moore leaving, has really put an onus. And those are two linebackers, for those that are not familiar with NC State, has really put the onus on Peyton Wilson. And Peyton Wilson, he's the lone returning starter, and he's got some inexperience around him. And you think about some of the teams that they'll be playing against. I mean, they're going to need to be good. Some of the RPOs that you'll see in the ACC, your linebackers got to be really instinctive. Your linebackers, linebackers have to be really quick to trigger. And he's going to be surrounded by some guys that have some talent and guys that they feel good about. I mean, if you listen to, to what Peyton Wilson said about the rest of his linebacker core, I mean, he's fired up about their work ethic, their, their confidence, the, the things that they've been able to do already here throughout the early parts of fall camp and even back in the spring. But he might have to cover for Jalen Scott every once in a while. He might have to cover for Devin Betty a little bit every once in a while because he's the experienced guy that's going to have to play at a really, really high level if NC State is going to be that dark horse, dangerous team that nobody's talking about in the ACC right now. Nobody's talking about NC State. People are getting fired up about Miami. People are getting fired up about the possibility of North Carolina maybe having that offense. Defense improves a little bit. Maybe they take a stride. Don't sleep on NC State. Do not sleep on NC State, partly because of the presence that is their middle linebacker and highly productive player in Peyton Wilson. He is their MVP. Breakout star. Could easily make a case for this guy to be the MVP as well. It's Brennan Armstrong. Shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation. Quarterback two years ago at Virginia, all ACC player. All ACC player. Quarterback last year at Virginia, one of the worst in the ACC as far as decision making, as far as accuracy. Just never felt like him and Tony Elliott were on the same page. Just felt like Tony Elliott was trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Brennan Armstrong was doing things and and was more comfortable doing things a certain way. Just never seemed to mix. So he gets a fresh start. But the good news is he's got a fresh start with the guy he's already had a ton of success with. And that's Robert Denai, who was at Syracuse last year, was at Virginia the year before. Now they are reunited at NC State. And if there's one thing we know about Brennan Arsone, there's a couple things. One, he can throw the ball very accurately on some of the intermediates, he's throwing the ball very accurately on some of the underneath, and he's going to get the ball out quick. But if nothing's there, do not sleep on this guy's athleticism. I think people have kind of forgotten just how athletic Brennan Armstrong is. If you listen to some reports out of Raleigh, guys hit 20 miles an hour on the GPS at quarterback at, and big quarterback too, I might add. So he is a factor with his legs as well. I think he's going to get back to looking a lot more like the 2021 version of himself as opposed to the 2022 version of himself. But I think he's poised to spring and I think he could at season's end, be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. I I do think that Drake May is the top billing. I think Jordan Travis is right there on Drake May's heels. But you start to look at three, four, five, it's a bunch of different options. I think Brendan Armstrong has a chance to maybe be one of those guys that is fighting for an ACC spot, all ACC spot at season's end. Let's keep it in the triangle and talk about the MVP for North Carolina shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation is Drake may quarterback is the ultimate neutralizer, the ultimate neutralizer. And what he was able to do in year one was nothing short of remarkable. Now he actually has to do even a little bit more. Why? Because his offensive coordinator has gone. His top wide receiver has gone. He might have to shoulder the load even more than he did last year, which I'm not sure you could shoulder a load much more than that. I- I'm really not sure you can because the defense had struggled. And you lose some key pieces. And now you lose your OC. Now he's going to maybe have to chip Lindsey. I don't like that call, coach. I don't like that. I might adjust things at the line of scrimmage. Maybe do something myself. Maybe make an adjustment, a tweak, an audible here and there. And don't sleep on this guy's legs either. I mean, Drake May is at worst as far as just sheer talent is concerned. At worst, number two in college football. Caleb Williams, probably number one. But just as far as sheer talent, athleticism, accuracy, driving the ball. Now, there are some guys that have ceilings that we have not addressed. Maybe Joe Milton down the road, we have a conversation. But based on what I've seen on the field, if I can't have Drake May, or if I can't have Caleb Williams, I want Drake May. So I think that guy is the real deal and is the obvious pick for MVP for the North Carolina Tar Heels. But the breakout candidate, now that Tez Walker has had his waiver denied. Now, I, he probably prior to this past week in the ruling, as I f- spill over my cup there, uh, but I fixed it, caught it, no spill. Pretty good. Feel good about that. The guy that I would have probably picked was Tez Walker. Now that he's kind of on the sideline, at least for the moment, the appeal process is pending. I have to go with K- Kobe Pesor. Now, he is a third year player last year, got a little bit of time, just 29 catches last year. But when you look at where he's at, he had a few starts. It does kind of feel like he's poised to kind of be that guy for Drake may to maybe take, take the next step. Now I think they got a bunch of weapons and they might spread the ball all over the place. I think there, got a lot of talent. I, I do Now, Are any of them Josh downs? Probably not. Not at least at this point, but I would be surprised if when we look at season's end, we're not pretty impressed with North Carolina's receiving core as a whole. And I think Kobe has a real chance to be one of the top guys that they go to and is probably going to get a lot of looks in that offense as well. So Kobe Pacer, keep an eye on him. Let's go to the Big 12, a couple more teams before we put a bow on this discussion. Kansas State. Now, could have gone in a bunch of different directions here. I just felt like Will Howard had to be the pick. And, and I, I didn't want to go this direction, to be honest. I've tried to be creative here. You see, I've picked linebackers, defensive ends, you know, a coach, an OC. But I, I feel like if you pick the MVP, I mean, we're living in such a quarterback-driven world. And the Big 12 in particular is so quarterback-driven and has been for a decade and change. So if you don't have a guy, you don't have a chance in the Big 12. You just don't. Now, for as good as Deuce Vaughn was last year and, and for as good as their, their defensive front was last year and all these other things, man, you just can't look beyond the quarterback spot in that league and not acknowledge that as your MVP. Now, you look at what he did against Oklahoma State, Baylor, West Virginia, Kansas, and then how he played against TCU both times. Started 10 games the last couple of years. But you really saw in 2022 him start to take the next step as far as taking ownership, and starting to really grow and mature with confidence and being decisive and accurate. Now he's also got to replace Malik Knowles. Not easy to do. He might not have the elite, super elite running back that takes over the game. Maybe it's going to be a little bit more running back by committee. All of that's okay, but I do think it's going to be on Will Howard's shoulders if they're going to get back to the Big 12 Championship Game, if they're going to get back to you know college football playoff striking distance, Will Howard's going to have to play at a ridiculously elite level. He's the MVP, but a breakout candidate candidate is linebacker Daniel Green. I think he's got star potential. Now you think about what he had to endure last year a ton of a ton of things that he had to deal with throughout the course of the season. Had some injury issues, was a little banged up, played still a lot of football, but didn't really do the things that we thought he might be able to do. Austin Moore was the guy that kind of received all the headlines and ended up having a breakthrough season last year. Well, now that Daniel Green is totally healthy, uh, he can play downhill. He's athletic. He can, I think, cover backs out of the backfield if the opportunity presents itself. And him alongside Austin Moore, I mean, that is a really strong tandem at linebacker. Now, I know it's a little bit of a cop-out given how much he played last year to choose him as a breakout candidate, but I just don't think we saw his best last year. Just knowing some of the injury struggles that he had to deal with, now that he's back at 100%, expect him to take the top off alongside his running mate in Austin Moore to have possibly the best one-two punch or the best linebacker duo in the Big 12. So worth noting there, keep an eye on Daniel Green. Honorable mention Trayshawn Ward, DJ Giddens. We know that Trayshawn Ward and DJ Giddens are going to break out. They're going to feed them. They're going to feature them. So I didn't think it was necessary at running back to focus. Hey, Kansas State's running back might break out this year. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so I didn't feel like that was a necessary conversation. But for those that were like, you didn't say the running back. Fair enough. I didn't because I feel like that's too obvious. Okay. Wanted to mix it up. Wanted to get creative. Let's finish with Kansas. MVP Jalen Daniels. No denying that what he did in the bowl game is just a jumping off point for where they might ultimately go this year. Now, is he going to average 544 passing yards a game? Probably not. But when you do that and become the first player ever to throw for 500 yards, five touchdowns and run for a touchdown in one of the best performances we've seen in a bowl game in recent history, that, that tells you all you need to know. Now, I know Jason Bean went in the game last year as the backup quarterback and did some good things. So maybe the offense is suited to allow the quarterback to make plays. But you think about the rhythm that he was in in the first five games of the year, got banged up, obviously, in the TCU game, missed a lot of time. If he can stay healthy throughout the course of the season, I don't think Kansas is necessarily a big 12 title game participant. I don't even know if they're going to finish in the top half of the league, but I know there'll be a problem for everyone they play. If Jalen Daniels on the field, they're a problem. And you better have that guy circled. Like Iowa State back in the day, Seneca Wallace. Y'all remember that name? Iowa State didn't have a great roster. But they had that dude, and he was a problem. That's who Jalen Daniels is right now. He makes them very dangerous every single week. And a breakout candidate, Tommy Dunn, defensive lineman. Now, they lost their top three defensive tackles off of last year. And Dunn is coming off a season in which he got some playing time, played about 10, 12, 15 snaps a game. And remember, this is a guy that as a high school recruit, he had one power five offer and it was Kansas. And now he's kind of growing and maturing. And Lance Leipold and company do a great job of developing players, getting them in the rotation, and then allowing their role to increase as they earn it. That's what we can expect from Tommy Dunn this year and knowing the vacancy that's there in the middle of that defense, he needs to play big and does have a chance, I think, to break out against some of that Big 12 competition. As always, we appreciate you guys sending in questions to our mailbag. alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can also submit, but before you submit on social media, give us a follow. At always CFB on both Twitter slash X and Instagram. So if you want to submit a question, give us a follow. We will absolutely take questions from there
1: as well. Jack, where are we going today? All right, Greg. First one comes from Colby in Pennsylvania. Got a really good question here. He says, what is your most crazy but realistic scenario for the college football playoff this upcoming year? Does the Pac-12 team sneak in? Does Penn State finally make it? Or is there another Cinderella team this year like TCU? Just wondering what your crazy but I can see this scenario is for the final year of the fourteen team playoff. Well, I think one of the craziest scenarios would be the obvious
0: three or four don't make it. So the obvious four that are the consensus top four teams in the country, Georgia Bama in the SEC, Ohio State, Michigan in the Big Ten. If those four teams don't make it, which by the way, is totally possible. I I think it's unlikely, but I do think it's totally possible. I think a Pac-12 team getting in, given how deep and strong that league is, would be a remarkable story. But I could see it. I could see USC getting in. I could see Washington getting in. I could see Utah getting in. I could see Texas getting in for sure, especially if they are able to beat Bama in week two. I mean, I could absolutely see that. They'd probably be the only team in the Big 12 right now, though, that I could realistically see making a run. I could see Penn State getting in. You're going to call me crazy. I could see Wisconsin getting in. Look at their schedule. Look at their schedule. They're favored right now in 11 games. The only game they're not favored in would be the Ohio State game. At home, they're about a two-touchdown dog, but we've seen crazier things happen. At home, at night, I might add. I could see Wisconsin maybe making a run. It's realistic. It's really realistic. Very, very gettable, manageable schedule there for Wisconsin this year. Uh, Florida State's natural. Clemson's natural. I don't feel like those are too far-fetched. LSU to me. So like those would be the nine teams that I could realistically probably see getting in, even though the stars would kind of have to align for one of them to
1: actually punch their ticket. All right, second one comes from Jimmy in Idaho. He asks, Will the winner of the Pac-4 still get an automatic entry into the CFP in 2024, or will the Pac-4 be lumped in with the G5? I can't envision a scenario in which the
0: automatic qualifiers are applied to a league with only four teams, and I, I don't. One, I don't think that's going to happen. There will be some type of scheduling arrangement. There'll be some type of of situation. I really don't know. I, I can't tell you that. But if you're Oregon State, for instance, let's use them as an example. Just assuming based on how they're going to look this year, maybe they'll be the best team in the Pac-12 next year. It'd be really hard for me to envision them having... They'd have to merge with the Mountain West or those schools would have to align with the ACC. All, by the way, on the table right now, according to sources, depending on what sources you want to listen to. I only think you can have a conference with four teams. So they have to merge with the Mountain West or figure out a way into the Big 12 for them to really find themselves in a position to have an automatic qualifier. So I think they have a better chance of going independent than they do maintaining as a four-team league. Uh, they'd have to add
1: or merge or remove themselves by going to a different league. All right, last one for today comes from David in Oregon. He asks, of the three teams, Nebraska, Oregon State, and Texas Tech, which one is the most likely to make the playoff, which one is most likely to just be average, and which one is most likely to underachieve? It's a great question. Oregon State has
0: the best chance to make the playoff. That one, for sure. We know they can run the ball. We know they have a great identity. We know they have now improved their quarterback situation with DJ Uyunglele. So I think Oregon State, actually, you'd you think I'm crazy. I think Oregon State really could make the playoff. I mean, they match up pretty well against Oregon. They are a really physical team. You, you never really see... You never really see them get beat up in the trenches. I I could see it happening. Now, stars would have to align. They'd have to have the ball bounce their way. They'd have to not turn the ball over four times against USC. You know, there'd be a lot of things that have to go their way, but it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. I have Oregon State as a top 20 team. The team that I would expect to be second best would be Texas Tech. Now, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're going to be average. I think they're going to be really good. Uh, I think they're probably... a eight-win football team, which would have them right on the fringe of the top 25 status. Now, schedule's a little tougher this year, but I'm still optimistic that Texas Tech is going to take a step forward for Joey McGuire this season. And then Nebraska, I think they have a chance to be average, but that's all Nebraska wants to be right now. Baby steps. So the only thing that would concern me would be Matt Rule's track record of really... Underwhelming first seasons at both Baylor and Temple. But this is not a comparable situation to what he inherited at Baylor and Temple. This is a roster that is actually pretty close. I think they have a quarterback in Jeff Sims. I think they have pretty dang good backs. I think they have pretty dang good weapons. I think the defense will be sound. So I'm not trying to avoid your question. I think it's a good one. But I think Oregon State would be the most likely of the three to make the playoff. I think Texas Tech has a chance to win eight, maybe nine games if they can pull off an upset. And I think Nebraska is going to go to bowling for the first time in a while. I actually think Nebraska is going to win seven. I really believe that. When you look at the schedule, I think it's very, very possible. So, really like all three of those teams. I think they're a. Oregon State's just further ahead because Jonathan Smith's been there a handful of years. Joey McGuire's been at Texas Tech for two, and Matt Rule just got there. So if I were going one, two, three, it's mostly because a coach's tenure and established culture. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a great show. Have always really enjoyed diving into the players, the storylines, and getting you prepared. We're just 15 days away, ladies and gentlemen. Two weeks from tomorrow, we are pressing play on the college football season. So we got to get you dialed up. We're going to. That's what we do this for. That's why we love this. We love this, being able to talk ball and get you prepared. And we'll continue to do so. We'll do more MVPs and breakout candidates here in the next few episodes. If your team wasn't listed yet, keep it locked in. They are probably coming. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jack, Jake, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football.